1: This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com
0: This is the Comedians Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and uh, this is the brilliant, the absolutely wonderful Angela Barnes, who, as we allude to in this conversation, uh, Angela was an early guest on this show and I decided not to release the episode because basically her kind of <laughs> zero to hero story was so, she had such an incredible start to her career that I didn't, I worried that no one would learn from it. And so we've sort of made a mutual decision at the time. I mean, basically it was like, I, I started writing jokes, I turned out to be brilliant at it. New loads about comedy, smashed all the competitions, started getting work straight away, and I thought it's going to be a bit, uh, probably a bit painful for uh, for lots of people starting out who may be listening. And, and also, I thought it would be better to talk to her when she was in a position to look back on a body of work and, and reflect upon it. I'm very pleased I waited. This is uh, a really excellent conversation. It's got all your classic uh, comedians, comedian podcast stuff in it. Um, she's she's very very hard. She's a very she's very hard, she's a very hard worker. Um, she's very disciplined. A tremendous work- work ethic and as you'll be pleased to know it turns out a lot of that is based in her anxiety and fear of failure Mwah! vintage stuff so without further ado uh, this is the absolutely brilliant angela barnes god slick was my timeout adjective Really? Did you now? Did that? Was that a thing when you started? Um, timeout used to give you an adjective, and it would hang around every time your name was mentioned in Out in the comedy section in the listing. It'd be the
2: same. Yeah. It the would only be time like... I've been mentioned in Timeout, they have used an adjective, which really I don't think summed me up very well at all. It was cozy.
0: Cozy? Yeah, which I was really shocked by. That's a damning with faint well, It's not even praise, is it? No. But it's also inapplicable to you. I wouldn't... You're not I not a Cozy, think, cozy You're a stand. relentless joke machine. No, like, even if <laughs> Well, thank you. But I'll take that. Over yeah, cozy. yeah. <laughs> yeah too, right. But
2: even, you know, someone like Josie Long, you might say Cozy because she wears cardigans, maybe, but even, or yeah. something. But even I, that's not right. But I can't like, really think of a, cozy, a cozy comedian. Who's a Cozy? Someone Barbara like... Barbara Nice... But that's just the image. She's not. Co- she's the opposite. Yeah, of cozy. Yeah, yeah, but- yeah.
0: And even someone like Lucy Porter, who is kind of sweet. It, the whole point is, it's sweet. It's and spiky. Then there's a Barb. Yeah. Cozy. God, I hope I'm not cozy. That's the word. I know. Thing I really say- <laughs> was just like,
2: what the fuck does that mean? I used to. I
0: was very early days, and I was quite pleased to get an adjective early on. Yeah, slick's like, A so good one. Ten yeah. years ago. Well, I used to get slick. Yeah, I never wanted to be slick. But then I... I, Slick for me became something that... And I'm actively trying to undo it now and be more... Right, yeah. ...deliberately sort of undo the slickness. I can see now what they were talking about. Because I'd go... I'm not slick, and anyway, I can't be thinking about this now because I have to get this exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, maybe that's ah. what I mean. So <laughs> yeah. you're not cosy. Give yourself, give yourself a timeout adjective. That's a good starting point. Mine what, would, what would be... you What would you hope for, and what would you give yourself? Okay,
2: I well, I would hope for. That's a tricky one, isn't it? Competent.
0: <laughs> I've got very
1: low self-esteem <laughs> too. Um,
2: the one I'd probably give myself is. A, Again, one that I hear quite a lot, and that's world-weary, and I quite like that, because
0: there's... Oh, uh, sneaky or, hyphenation. You know, that sort of, things. oh yeah, self-deprecating
2: <laughs> world-weary, that's the thing I get a lot. Yeah. I've had brash a couple of times, which I,
0: I'm i not sure that's... You, would you be happier about brash i I'm happier with cozy? brash
2: than cosy, I think,
0: because... Why do you think they say brash?
2: I, I don't know, maybe because I'm a woman who swears, I don't know, or...
0: I mean, yeah, I, right. That's almost that's a comedy equivalent of that kind of like bossy. That kind of yeah, exactly. Gendered, it's
2: like she's a woman with a foul. You know, I get called potty mouth. I get called, and I don't swear that. I'm not like a blue yeah. act. Do you know what I mean? No, I don't right. do much. So I think
0: Milliken gets the same thing. doesn't Yeah, you? people do yeah. like really make a big deal of the fact that she occasionally will swear.
2: And we'll talk about sex, sort of semi-graphically, not that graphically. Yeah. I mean, I think certainly when Mi- not
0: compared to some. You know, any one of a hundred male comics doing a cock exactly. mine with the microphone. Well,
2: like I can't think of a single male comic who has never. Made mentioned his penis on stage ever mm. you know whereas we you know as soon as you mention that you even have sex as a woman it's the oh slightly naughty like, yeah, why right. we're just
0: doing what everyone else does yeah okay okay we we'll, we we'll, we might get into more of yeah. that in a bit um so world weary do you think that's
2: i quite like that in a way because i don't think i am as a person world weary. like I, i'm quite aware of things going on i'm quite in my own life, I'm quite sort of politically active. You know, I'm a member of the Labour Party. I do, I'm quite aware of the world and it makes me weary. Uh, but I'm not a partic- uh, a particularly political comic. Like I'm, I do topical stuff sometimes, but I try to, my comedy, I find it very difficult to be funny about things I'm angry about. Yes. You know, so I, I mean, I look at people like Mark Steele in awe because he's angry and hilarious. Whereas when I'm angry, it's just a rant. I forget that it has to be a punchline, you it, know, if I'm is, angry.
0: Is that because your jokes are, pre- or that you as a comic are preoccupied with funny more than you're preoccupied with getting it off your chest?
2: I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think for me, for my comic persona, whatever that may be, that... I do anger, but I, I, the comedy comes from being angry at inane things rather than things I'm actually angry at. Yes. You know, the comedy comes from being angry because, uh, you know, I'm 40 and people think I should have a kid or, you know, or all those
0: things that, I, sh- you know, aren't really worth getting angry about. They aren't worth getting angry about, but you do get angry about. Them. Do you get really yeah. angry about them? And are you using it on stage as a sort of cathartic means of expressing stuff? Or is it simply that you're like, oh, here's a bit of grit. Let's try and turn that into a pearl.
2: I think it's a bit of both. I think sometimes it's there's a bit of grit. Let's see what we can do with that. Oh, this is a silly thing to get angry about. Let's see what happens when you get angry about it. Sometimes it's something that... Does actually annoy me, but I I know in my head that it's you know you should pick your battles and it's not worth getting wound up about. But on stage, I can get wound up about it, and it's funny.
0: Okay, I'm just I'm just wondering. That's really interesting that you mentioned Mark Steele, who I think definitely is like he is that brilliant combination of he's genuinely annoyed, he's yeah. done the reading and he's really funny absolutely and he's fearsome
2: you know that's and that's it, I'm in awe of that I'm absolutely in awe of it because I, I was lucky I get to spend quite a lot of time when, we've got the same agent and so when it's Edinburgh time we preview together quite a lot so I've spent a lot of time in cars with Mark uh-huh. and that's just how Mark is yeah you know it, when he is angry he's funny it's funny watching Mark be angry that's and, interesting um, yes okay. and, and that's a, but then to put that on stage is a whole other skill
0: oh, what I found in the last the, the show that I did at Edinburgh Last that I'm about to tour is there's a lot of it that is more kind of I am I'm angrier in it. It's by no means political. That stuff is sort of post Brexit starting to happen a little bit. Yeah, now. yeah. I think that I think we're going to see a lot more. Oh, there are people who have
2: comments. never mentioned politics on stage before doing material about. Yes, I mean I've done I do topical stuff because I do topical shows like I do Mot the Week occasionally. I do news quiz on radio for things like that. So I I have to be generating. Topical. So I'll do things that are topical, but I wouldn't say that I'm particularly political. Yes. Okay. In that I know what my politics are. I wouldn't necessarily think somebody who's watched me at a gig would know what my politics are, necessarily.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, what I was going to ask was, or the, the analogy I was going to draw, was that for my stuff at the moment, or the, the, the current touring show, I'm angry. I'm angry because I have had to leave London against my will that's one of the threads of the show right yeah and I know that for me I walked around I walk around being angry that I've had to leave London against my will like it genuinely <laughs> it was I'm not it wasn't an easy show to write by any means but I had a thing I had I had the tiger by the tail I was like yeah. I have to talk about this because I'm bloody waking up worrying about it and being annoyed about it if
2: that's if that's consuming your days how can you not write about it it really
0: was exactly so yeah. I suppose when I when it comes to kind of political stuff and I, I suppose this is this question I'm putting to you rather than to myself, which is the ivory tower afforded me by the podcast, <laughs> is that if you are a political person, but your stuff on stage is about silly anger that you can make comedy out of, yeah. does that mean that you aren't walking around all the time annoyed about politics in the way that, say, Mark Steele might be?
2: I don't think it does, because I, I mean, this year, 2016, and, and, you know, obviously people are going to bang on about this for, for a long time, but we all know it's been a, a year it's been a year of upheaval and and terrifying frightening stuff and what's happened in america what's happening in europe with the rise of the far right it genuinely keeps me awake at night and and makes me anxious and actually i think maybe because of that some of that is starting to leak into the material that i do like you can't You can't ignore the fact that Donald Trump's been elected president. Now, we're in a situation where it's a bit tricky because you don't want to be a situation where you go to a comedy club and that's all that everyone's talking about on stage. Because sometimes you go to a comedy club and you want to forget the realities of what's going on out there. So I feel... I feel sort of torn between my responsibilities to make people forget what's going on and also to satirise what's going on. Because if we don't laugh about it, we don't satirise it, we don't point out its failings, then what what do we do? All of us feel powerless at the moment. I think there's a lot of that feeling, you know, I I don't know what else to do. You know, I don't know what's in my power to do. And as a comic, you could argue, well, one of your powers is to satirise what's going on or to, to look at it. But on the other side of that, sometimes people just don't, want to remember what's going on when they're sat in a comedy club and i think that again can be a difference between doing your own show and doing a gig on the circuit like in my own solo shows in my preview i will talk more about that sort of thing than i will in a 20 minute set in a comedy club and it's 20 minute set in a comedy club at the moment i might mention brexit and do some jokes about it but they'll be very um the the jokes i do in comedy clubs about brexit aren't pro remain which i am Mm mm-hmm But because I don't feel that's the space for that. If I was doing my own solo show, people bought tickets to see my show. Then I feel like, well, that's where I can explore
0: my feelings more about this stuff Okay So what that's, So it's out of A kind of a respect For the other side's opinion That there might Or is it simply That you yeah, wh- Why is that That you would That you would kind of Conceal your feelings And adopt a more neutral position
2: It depends how you Read into it Because I suppose I'm just trying to think Of the jokes that I do I suppose you would see That there's a bit of Tongue in cheek And that I, that I probably Am pro-Remain I guess that's But what I don't want to do Is go on stage in a comedy club And lecture people About what I think They should have voted I don't think that's Sure. Um, So I guess my political stance is obvious from some of the things I say, but my primary goal in that setting, in a comedy club on a Friday, Saturday night is to make punters laugh. That's what I'm being paid to do. That's what I'm there to do. Not to start a rally, not to kind of, you know, be overtly political. Some comics do it brilliantly. Mark Steele could do Mm. that because the audience already know him. They know what his thing is. They know what his political leanings are. And it almost doesn't matter if they're the same as theirs or not. You can laugh with Mark Steele because, whereas I haven't, I I am much more about, um, I think in a comedy club setting, much more about the sort of minutiae of life rather than the big stuff.
0: Well, you're, we we kicked together recently at Old Rope, and for me, I've made some notes at the times, I didn't want to forget any of it, but (laughs) the joke that I don't need to look at my notes to remember is the one about um, Farage going to America and offering to be an ambassador for the UK. Yeah. A man, and the the structure of the joke, and I'll butcher it here, (laughs) is that, so you establish that, and then you said that's a a man doing a job he isn't wanted to do. He's like one of those guys that wash your windows at the lights. Yeah. Which I think is, I mean, it's such a strong joke. It's just, it's one of those ones where the audience, they almost rock back. They're like, oh, yeah, that's great. You said the (laughs) thing. It all makes sense. The planets align. Mwah, mwah. Beautiful joke. So... With something like that, do you think it's fairly obvious from that joke, your distaste for Farage? Absolutely. But I
2: think Farage is a, is a figure of, like, even, there's a small minority. I don't believe that everybody who voted Leave is a supporter of Nigel Farage. Sure. Right? So, therefore, there's a difference between uh, that split of 48%, 52% and people who think Farage is a clown and people who don't. Right? So I think Farage is sort of fair game. Because I mean, the things he does are ridiculous. So I, 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 yeah, obviously that's it's obvious the way I'm going to talk about him, the way and, and Donald Trump the same. You can't ignore the ridiculousness of it. You can't ignore that he's a reality TV entrepreneur. He's now the president of the United States. You know that's inherently. Come on, <laughs> you know I can't pretend to be fine with that. So there are certain lines that can yeah. be drawn.
0: I'm, I'm just I'm wondering. I suppose I was sort of asking. Do you feel as a satirist that to a certain extent you have to take a neutral position so that you can make fun of both sides? Like, I think I often hear that in comedy, that people go, I don't want the audience to know which way I vote because my position has to be able to lacerate both sides. I'm wondering at the moment whether, are we hearing you lacerate both sides or are we actually, it's kind of clear where you're coming from because of the targets you choose. But I, I
2: think often in satire, what you're actually doing is you're, you're satirizing whoever has the most power at that point like one of my heroes is linda smith and she uh was a socialist her whole life but she the thing that she said and she would always do was be to take the piss out of whoever's in power be that labor conservative whoever if you're in a position of power that's where you are fair game for satire if you know what i mean and, and nigel farage okay not exactly in a position of well we like to think
0: he's yeah, not in a position yeah, of power, but... Christ, anything could happen. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know,
2: right now, he seems to be... It doesn't matter what, whether he's been elected into a position of power. He seems to just be taking it for himself. And so, therefore, uh, fair game, I think. And, I, and if, if Jeremy Corbyn was leader, I would be... Uh, was uh, Prime Minister, <laughs> I mean... Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, if that were to happen, I would satirise him equally, I think.
0: Um, and what, would you? Because if you're a Labour voter, you're a member mm, of the Labour Party... And you're like would you simply not regard yourself as having to do that job like might you find other jokes funny or other of your own jokes
2: maybe I mean I'd have to be in that position to i the Tories were in power when I started comedy, so yeah. i i don't you know I don't know how I would, but I do think that whoever is in a position of power either their their powers are limited there's never going to be a perfect prime minister that's never going to happen. So therefore, they're, they're to be questioned and, and uh, satirised as much as anyone else.
0: You're one of those people who, like Kevin Bridges, when Kevin Bridges did So You Think You're Funny in 2005, whenever we did it, everyone looked at him and went, oh. You've been doing comedy for 30 years somehow. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But you haven't. Yeah, You're brand yeah. new, but then yeah. you have this quality. And I think you had that quality as well. It was like, here is the fully formed package. Here is a hardworking joke writer who knows what she wants to talk Thank about.
2: Thank you. Well, I think, I think, I mean, so I, I was 33 when I did my first open spot. So I think that makes a bit of a difference. And I'd been a comedy fan my whole life. So I'd absorbed that sort of language of stand up. By osmosis, I think, my well, whole life.
0: Yes, but so had I. I but- <laughs> started late and I've been a comedy fan forever. I don't think absorbing... No. There'll be a lot of people listening to this who are like, oh, I've been a comedy be fan that- for years and years. Doesn't mean they're going to be a joke no, writer. I, I mean, just want to push you a bit it- it's so on-
2: funny. I, well, it's so funny hearing you say... Because, you know, you never know how other people perceive, perceive what you are as an actor or, or you know. And I, I know, for me writing my material, that that stuff comes kicking and screaming i have to yank it out with pl- it doesn't come easily right i like That's i find wonderfully
0: <laughs> mixed metaphor it comes
2: kicking and screaming like a baby which i have to out yank with, out with <laughs> <laughs> i was a, a forceps birth yeah. so um, <laughs> like i know the process i go through with writing i know the ups and downs of it i know the amount of stuff like i have to write 100 pages to get a page of anything that I would say out loud on a stage. So I, f- I don't feel like I'm a tight joke writer, but I think what I am maybe is quite, um, strict with myself. What I'm not, I know what my strengths are, what they're not. So I am not an improviser. I'm not somebody who can have a germ of an idea and go, I'll work this out on stage. And I know there's a lot of comics who can do that, but I don't trust my, my brain enough to do that and one day i'd like to just give that a try and see if
0: it does work you know because i know that does for some people and, but... and you are you can play a panel game and you can chip in and you can build on things I mean, yeah you yeah. know you are an improviser maybe
2: i am but i just got in my head that i'm not and my my brain is my own worst enemy and i think a lot of us can say that but in in terms of, of writing and performing i am my own i am my own worst critic and my brain is constantly every day telling me who the hell do you think you are, <laughs> right? You used to have a proper job. What are you doing? This isn't your job. This isn't what you do. And
0: you're able, and believe you me, we'll get into that. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you are able to process that as discipline. Whereas I think some people might experience that kind of, like you've mentioned self-esteem. We'll yeah. talk about mental health. Yeah. Um, some people might find that that feeling of, I can't do this, means that they become inactive, yeah. whereas your feeling of I can't do this means that you work all the hours. It, it does both. It does
2: both. That I, I have periods of, of activity and periods of complete paralysis when it comes to writing, where I think that's it, I'm spent, I can't do it anymore. And I get myself in a cycle of, you know, if you have a day where you just have or, or you know you can't think of anything to write about or you, you know the tyranny of sitting in front of a blank screen or a blank bit of paper and uh, and then i I spiral i spiral really quickly into you can't do this you've you've fooled everyone this long and it doesn't matter how much evidence there is it doesn't matter how many times my agent will go to me you've just done what the week, or you've just done this or you've You wrote that thing, or you've got... I've seen you do loads of new material. What are you talking about? You don't turn over enough. doesn't matter how many times people show you evidence. Your brain... There's that little irrational part of your brain that overrides sometimes. And I can go three months without writing a joke. Which, for a comedian, isn't ideal. But what I have to do... Is that three
0: months worth of trying to write a joke? Or is that three months of despairing inactivity? It's two
2: weeks of trying to write a joke, and then two and a half months of displacement activity
0: <laughs> looking at fish for jobs online um, what uh, else can i do <laughs> i
2: i i'd say every year since i've been a comedian i've applied for six social work jobs
0: no yeah
2: yeah never followed it through but i have periods of time where i go that's it game over done start applying for social work
0: jobs and what it is do you recognize a a regular uh trigger for those kind of is it a bad gig is it a tough writing session is it writer's block what what are the what are the moments that oh
2: that's an interesting question I've not really analyzed it that fully. I think partly it's my own my whole life I've had cycles of ups and downs so the part of it is just part of that and so I just go with that now um part of it is is I guess if you have a bad gig or I mean sometimes you can have a bad gig and it doesn't knock you for six. And sometimes you can have one and it really does. And I think it depends where you are mentally at that point anyway in your life, you know. And, And weirdly, I think what I found is by sorting out other areas of my life. So I'm in a really happy, stable relationship. I love where I live. So by making me focus on the only thing that can balls up at the moment is work. And so by hyper focusing on that, that's when I... Start stressing myself out and convincing myself I can't do it. You know, and sometimes it's like if you've got issues in other areas, I'm not worried about that because I've got other things to worry about. Now yeah. I haven't got other things to worry about. It well. can really heighten... I'm a mess, you. I'm no, a complete no, no, mess. No, no, not a, <laughs> I was smiling
0: because I thought what a lovely I feel like I'm in a similar position like uh, you and I have I think we're both on we're emotional roller coaster people. Yeah, yeah. And uh I don't know about clinically, but certainly I've spent a lot of money on therapy. More yeah. than more than I, I'm not I never got into kind of treating it with pills. Yeah. But uh I think there are similarities between us and I think also I was smiling because I was thinking yeah my life's pretty great in the minute now as well sorted relationship enjoying where I live all of those things so yes it does so that lets you go oh fuck
2: yeah
0: so what am I going to worry
2: about this this I'm going to worry about
0: I'm really interested to hear that you 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 sort of mentioned in an offhand way talking to your agent about it yeah because I, I wonder about that I think all comics have different relationships with all agents all managers yeah and I do wonder how much you share. I wonder how... Like, I, I feel pressure to pretend to everyone in the outside world apart from my partner. Like, including fine. my baby. I have to yeah. pretend to my baby that everything <laughs> is fine. Yeah. Um. So are you able... You're able to say to your representation, I'm shit, I can't do this.
2: Well... I- I probably
0: shouldn't, but I do. Okay, this is thank my, you this this for admitting been... that. I think that's really good. And they, are, like you say, they're, they're in a position where you work hard for them and they know that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So this is Angela. She's huge fun to talk to, and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. I- I'll let her speak for herself. Um, just a couple of things. The uh, the Ellis James and John Robbins special Soho live show on the 23rd of January is now officially sold out. So terribly sorry if you didn't manage to get uh, any tickets for that. We will be uh, broadcasting that. We might even try and wangle something, whether we can broadcast it or a, a bit of it, maybe a teaser. Uh, on their own pod feed that was mooted earlier and um, hopefully that will happen um, but the show itself is good now listen I've made leaps and bounds in booking the other Soho dates I can't tell you I'm going to do a big launch and tell you who they are but basically the middle two the, the fourth one is June that's miles away don't need to announce that yet although someone I'm very very pleased to have uh, nabbed um, but the middle two which are February and April they are I'm not quite sure which way round they are so I don't want to mislead you and uh, until they're completely set in stone, I, I won't launch them. But uh, suffice to say, at the the beginning of February, it's sort of quite soon. I'll do a bit of an onslaught because uh, the, the the February guest is superb. The mooted February guest is absolutely superb, and I'm confident that'll sell very well. So keep an eye on sohotheatre.com. Keep an eye on at pod the Twitter feed for this show. And, of course, you can join the Facebook group if you're not already a member of that. Uh, and that's the best way to send me ideas for questions for forthcoming guests and suggestions for guests. we have had loads of brilliant ones of those recently. And I just realised episode 200 is creeping up on us and I would like it to be a little bit special. Episode 100 was Phil K. Do you remember? All those... I mean, it must have been years. <laughs> I mean, it must have been. I, don't, I certainly don't release more than, than one a week. So does that mean... Phil K was two years ago? Barely seems like it. Good lord. Anyway, I won't blather on about that, but uh, I've got someone special in mind, so I hope that I will bring you exciting news of that soon. Penultimate thing, uh, the tour, of course. The tour is almost upon us. I've started doing bits and bobs of, of PR and press for that, and it starts at the end of this month. If you would like to come and see me live, if you enjoyed an hour, that uh, that little uh, giveaway, the Christmas giveaway, um, then you can come and see me on the tour, and the first few dates are as follows. Beginning of February and fact. We opened on the 3rd of February uh, in South End at the Joker Comedy Club. It's a brilliant venue. Always love playing there. Uh, I'm in pool. Why am I in pool? Who do I know in pool? Turns out, my friend Max. Don't know about anyone else. <laughs> I mean, hopefully some other people are going to come and see me in pool. Why am I going to pool? I mean, I love the idea of it. The only thing I know about pool, and this is apparently a true fact, by which I mean someone told it me once, so I'm repeating it verbatim, is that in pool in Dorset, there was a uh, and everything's a pound shop, and then someone over the road opened an everything's 99p shop. Remember when all those were springing up? And uh, the Pound Shop closed in a month. Outrageous. So lots to look forward there. That's the 4th of February in Pool. Um, next one's after that. Very exciting guest I'm interviewing on, uh, on the 9th of February. Don't want to give that away until it's completely confirmed. Canterbury. I'm going to the Gulbenkian Theatre in Canterbury, brackets the cafe. On the 10th of February, uh, I'm at the Criterion for Dave's Leicester Comedy Festival, doing uh, the tour show and a work in progress. On the 11th of February, um, I'm doing some very exciting tour. Supports for someone, although I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you who they are. I'll get back to you with that. Uh, then more tour stuff. I'm in Crawley uh, on the 18th of February. Uh, the Hawth Theatre there, which had loads of fun last time, so do come back to that if you uh, if you came last time, or fancy bringing more people. I'm at the Comedia in Brighton, which is just, I mean, it's, a, it's one of the venues in my heart, that one. Lovely show. Uh, lovely, lovely venue. The Comedia in Brighton on the 19th of February, and then Excess Malarkey in Manchester, which is just one of the... I mean, it's just one of the comedy venues. It just routinely wins best comedy venue in the northwest, I, b- I believe. I mean, feel free to get in touch with me. I've got that wrong, but it uh, it should do. Amazing show there last year. Please do come along to that one uh, if you're in Manchester. And then, oh, and I've already skipped over the 20th of February, which is the, the podcast with Mystery Guest number one. So uh, that's a Soho Theatre live podcast. Get onto com, and I'm fairly sure, if you can't use the code VERA to get money off, then uh, get in touch with me, because you should be able to do that, as with all of your... Uh, with all of your ticket purchases. And then just to finish off February, I won't go into huge details, but the the last day in February the 28th, I'm in Dublin. I'm in Whelan's. So if you're a listener in Dublin, and I know I've got a few, get yourself along to Whelan's and bring ten friends. (laughs) It's selling quite well, but, uh, you know, it it could... The best case is always they have to move the gig because it oversells. So I'm going to just keep pushing all of these really hard. Some of them I'm very confident about. Some of them are like, right, I'm in pool, am I? (laughs) Okay, well, that'll be interesting. Who knows? Maybe pool will surprise me. Maybe pool... Pool will turn out to be this year's Hemel. Who knows? Um, I can tell you all the dates of those and all the ones coming up. There's loads of other shows coming up in Harrogate and Birmingham and Bath and Hull and uh, Shrewsbury, Bristol, Warwick all and loads and loads more besides. And then I'm off to Melbourne for a bit and then I'm back for more tour dates. So, um loads of those all available all of those details and links available at comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour but you knew that anyway because all of you had been to comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate to support the show and thanks man <laughs> men guys oh no the- wait listen listen out for the postamble. i've got some thoughts on the subject of men and guys um but uh you know i mean thanks man and thanks guys in a non-gendered sense um but uh All of you who've donated over the Christmas period, I'm enormously indebted to, or rather I'm out of debt to. No, I I am indebted because I don't owe you the money back. I gave you a thing we're quits alright guys <laughs> but um, I'm very much obliged I'm very uh, very grateful of the support uh, of my lovely listeners and that includes you if you haven't already made a donation to the podcast to show how much it means not show you don't just show anyone but some people like to go some people like to donate because they think it's a worthwhile thing and some people like to donate because they like getting in touch with me and, and saying hi and I'm-, I'm into what you're doing and some people like to donate because they're feeling flush and um, I hope no one feels forced but I do hope that everyone who's able to donate who likes the show and feels it's worth for example £2 a month you can set your own recurring donation or for example a one-off £20 donation I like to think that all the people who do that recognise that they're supporting the show for the people who can't afford to and once again if you're a student and you send me a 3 quid donation I love it I'm so grateful for it please don't apologise there's <laughs> so many people like sorry I can't get more you don't need to be sorry thanks I'm really glad you're on board so that's all of that you can't buy a t-shirt as someone called and you can't buy a t-shirts. <laughs> that's quite GLC isn't it you can't buy a t-shirt as someone called Andrew found out to his chagrin earlier this week because they've all sold out. So please don't go on the website and buy them because I'll only have to refund your money. Don't even do it as a joke in your droves, please, because I'll just, I've will just, i just got to remember to take the T-shirt buying bit off the site. Um, and that is all of that. Check out SohoTheatre.com. I can't announce those dates yet, but I think you're going to like them. So jump over to there. Use the code Vera for a discount and um, come and support the tour, gang. Let's get back to Angela. I'll chat to you briefly at the end, and then we'll have a little postamble. Back to Angela Barnes.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
2: late teens early 20s through that time I had a bit of a tumultuous time mental health wise right so since my 30s I would say I I kind of adopted this tell people how you're feeling strategy because otherwise they don't know. And I realised that every time I'd got seriously ill was because I hadn't told anybody what was going on and it get out of hand. So by saying to people, hey, I'm not feeling good at the moment, that means I've put that in someone else's head and they're keeping an eye on me. And that's a strategy that's got me through and it works for me. But the downside of that is I wear my heart on my sleeve and probably a bit too much. And probably I can say to people, you know, I don't think I'm up to this, to the wrong person, (laughs) you know, to somebody who... doesn't really want to think you're not up to the job they've just booked you for sure. you know and i have to remind myself sometimes to like come on you know confidence has to fake it till you make it that that kind of i have to give have a word with myself for that you like, know you don't feel like you can do this but this person has booked you to do it because they think you can. And if they think you can, you have to think you can. And, you know, I have to, I'm constantly having to have a word with myself um, about that. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and that whole thing with my, I mean, my agent's brilliant. And um, the person who looks after me is, I mean, his job in managing me is managing anxiety. <laughs> and he knows that. And, uh, and he's really good at it. And he's really good at knowing exactly when to say, should we go for coffee? And I 100% every time I go for coffee, my agent, afterwards, I feel fine. Because he knows what to say. He knows what I need to hear. Yeah. And he can present me what well, we were talking about before. You know, I can't, I can't present myself with the evidence I need. I can't go, well, you did mo- the week and did well on it or oh, you did news quiz and people liked it and tweeted you about it. I can't, but he can present me with that evidence as an outsider. And I go, Oh yeah, that did happen. Yeah. And then I feel better. That's never going to come from me. That always has to come from an outsider.
0: When you say a tumultuous time yeah. as a younger person, I yeah. know there are a lot of people listening to this show and we cover a lot of mental health stuff on it yeah. um, who really appreciate... There There will be people, I think, who are currently having a tumultuous time, perhaps at the age you were. Yeah. So if you want to talk about that a bit more...
2: Yeah, I'm happy talking about it. Like I, It's funny that, because people often say, why don't you ever talk about this stuff on stage? And I go, because it's it's not something I'm particularly... I don't think I can do anything with it that people haven't already done. Like, mental health is a well-covered topic on stage, particularly for comedians, because let's face it, how many comedians <laughs> do you know? You don't know? Even need to finish their You know, <laughs> right? So it's not like, oh, that's going to be breaking new ground. If you talk about the fact you've had depression, you're like, you know, I don't feel like it's something that I need to like wait a minute world you have to hear this about me okay because i think it's actually almost a given with most comic or a lot of comics or even if it isn't it's like have i got anything particular i need to say about it that hasn't been said i touched upon it in my last edinburgh show sort of but in quite a throwaway way because and i think actually that's more helpful to somebody the fact that i could do a bit of material and go while i was in a psychiatric unit this thing happened and it's almost like people don't go Wait, you were in a psychiatric unit. The joke wasn't about being in a psychiatric unit. That was a setting for a routine that I needed to do, and I quite like the fact that, that that was throwaway and not the the point. Of yes,
0: that all that also has its own kind of micro catharsis to it yeah. because you're proving to yourself that you can mention it lightly because it's yeah. not a big deal. So yeah. you're you're kind of owning it. Yeah, none in, of this stuff a is secret. To- to- yeah, a, yeah is sure. It's a secret. Um, sure. It's just that. You know, if you ask me, I'll tell you. I really, I'm a big fan of that. I, I think there are there are numerous ways to own something. Yeah. And one of them is to do a big show about it. Yeah. And one of them is to prove to yourself how fine you are with it by yeah. not needing to do a big show about it. Yeah. I think that's really interesting.
2: Yeah, exactly. I just don't feel like by doing a mental health show, and like I say, my last show touched on those issues, um, but it was more specific about a more specific thing. Whereas to do the big, you know, this has been my journey with mental health for a start I'm bored of it I have to live it I'm bored of it you know and for me comedy has saved me in so many ways and it is cathartic and it is my outlet and it is my thing that has helped me overcome some of those obstacles I've had so I don't want that to be part of it you know I don't want it necessarily and who knows maybe in five years time I'll feel like now's the time I want to do my Show about that. Never say
0: never. So, coming away from the idea of doing jokes about it, and I appreciate, you know, if you're bored of it, you don't want to kind of get, oh, yeah, get like into in this, it. I'm
2: happy to, if it's interesting, I'll well, it, I will talk about it. Well, I'm interested in
0: it from the perspective of you... Let's talk about it from the perspective of you have used comedy to heal yourself. Let's yeah. talk. We can talk about your journey out of it. Yeah. If you tell us briefly what it was, yeah. what the symptoms were, because I think actually you're a good example of someone who is... Managing, and I mean that in a very present, continuing managing and continuing to manage it successfully. Right. And I feel a bit like that, maybe in some way as well. Like I'm like, oh yeah, there's definitely issues there, but I know what things to look out for. I know how to look after myself, and I think that is a really that's kind of like um, what's the the, probably Germans have a word for like (laughs) mundanely inspiring? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or just getting on with it. Or just just getting on with it. and, And and it's
2: always there, and it's always a so. Like to cut a very long story short, I first got diagnosed with depression when I was 18 and it was when I went off to university and I sort of always, I'd known it was there for a bit before that um, and it's very much in my family. Uh, and So when I was 18, I first got diagnosed with depression, was first put on antidepressants. Uh, then that diagnosis changed quite quickly to one of bipolar when I had a manic episode in my 20s. And that was um, before
0: people were tending to diagnose bipolar?
2: yeah yeah i mean yeah well i mean the it was bipolar affective disorder was the diagnosis i was given but i didn't know anyone who yeah it was it it,
0: wasn't a thing you could get yeah it wasn't like now you say it's like oh i've got that
2: i'll be too you know and it's it's much more openly discussed now than it was i mean i'm talking mid to late 90s and around the same time an aunt of mine had quite a serious episode much more serious than mine so that focus was and i i started becoming terrified that's my future is what happened to her is my future. Now she's a different person with different... Since then, I touch wood, have never had a manic episode since, but I've had lots of periods of depression and lots of... Um... So I've been on medication since I was eighteen. I'd say on and off, but much more on than off. Um, and, and medication from antidepressants to mood stabilizers to uh, cotyopene, which is a mood stabilizer, um, even like anti epileptic drugs to try and control certain uh, things. So it's been a. Uh, so my I always say like I I feel like I sort of lost my twenties to getting it right to trying to you know it was up and down. The weird thing was throughout all of this I was working and I I could present quite okay most of the time uh, i had a psychiatrist once said to me my biggest problem was that i was a good actress yes and that i yeah. could present as being well when i really wasn't well and that's where so it's that's almost why, like a
0: functional alcoholic exactly you keep getting that. away with damaging exactly yourself. that yeah. because
2: people don't notice that you started drinking vodka in the morning you know that wasn't my thing. <laughs> sure. just to put that out there but um so so what would happen is nobody would notice until it got too far to not notice and then that takes a lot of recovery. So I would have these sort of spells of not working, then go back to work, then spells of not, because it was, so it was just learning how to spot the signs. And I was very lucky. I had my best friend who I lived with in London for a long time. She was a mental health occupational therapist. She's a great person to live with. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: mean, the poor girl never was never off duty. <laughs> That's a winner. That's um, like getting a flatmate who is training in massage exactly, and they to practice. Right? Well, this is going to work out. <laughs> but I bet this poor girl was that would you
2: know have to sort of go, I think maybe you need to you know go and go see a psychiatrist you'll think maybe you need to but she was great to have that um but then I think so throughout my 20s it just felt like that was a period of of stabilization and, and getting it right and then by the time I hit 30 I'd sort of got it the balance of medication right I was able to recognize the signs I was able to and things um started to get a bit more stable in my life you know and, and things like I'd moved to Brighton I wanted to go and have a bit of a new start and I and, things, and then six months after I moved to Brighton, uh, my dad died really suddenly, which knocked me for six because we were best mates. He was my, mm. you know, we were really close. And um, and, it, uh, and so again, I had a bit of a rock there, but then I, I had a reason for it. It, was mu- it felt much more, not easy. I mean, it was a horrible time and I was grieving. But there's but a it,
0: different kind of sadness, isn't it? Absolutely different, different thing
2: it. when you can pinpoint uh, and it's normal. <laughs> mm. It's like, this is not irrational sadness. You've lost someone you love mm. that is normal to be that way and um and it was so I. and at this time I'd, I'd moved to Brighton and I was running a little comedy night in Brighton because I loved comedy uh, with no intention ever of doing comedy I never MC'd it or anything I just booked it and people come and do it and my dad used to come to the gigs and it was when my dad died that was the thing for me that triggered in my head because he used to say to me all the time why don't you have a go i used to do like am dram and things So i had done bits of performance and why don't you you should do it you love stand-up comedy why don't you do it and it was like no that's for people who do stand-up comedy not for social workers right what are you talking about and then um then he died and it was like it was about nine months after he died i signed up to do a comedy course uh, my main reason for doing a comedy course was i knew loads of comedians because i was booking a gig and i didn't want to get up in front of them and see if i could do it
0: yes okay you yeah, know yeah,
2: yeah, that's I, a really- <laughs> I, I needed a safe space because if i just rocked up at a open mic night and there were comics i knew in the audience i would not have got up so um so that's why i did a course really but the course was great and i really i do recommend the course that i did which one is, was i did the jill? jill edwards yes, course at comedian yes. in brighton yeah And it was was brilliant. And that was that really. And then it was six months after I did the course before I did an open sport. And it's funny, Jill, so Jill, who runs the course, Jill Edwards, she always says this thing about me to her pupils now. Because I go back now and talk to the, like do a little Q&A sometimes with the the courses that she Mm -hmm. does now about what it's like being a jobbing comic. And um, she always says to them, I got where I was going quickly by going slowly. That's the thing, because I was always so anxious about making a fool of myself or that I wasn't ready to do something, that I would always wait till I was more than ready for doing it. So, I, I, you know, I wouldn't do my first open spot until I knew I had five minutes of material that could work. And then I went out and started gigging that about. And I wouldn't do a 10 until I knew I had 10 minutes that would work. And I would do that by doing different fives. Which is fives very together. contrary,
0: I would say, to what most people do, which is overreach themselves yeah throw themselves in at the deep end yeah learn and of course the, yeah. what
2: happens then what you what people then realize is that the comedy world's a small world and if you tell a promoter you've got 10 minutes and actually you've got seven and you're going to pad it and then you go and die because you lied that promoter knows you've lied then there, it's going to be two years before they give you another shot whereas if you go and you do the job they've you to do and you deliver you're going to get another gig in six months or in a year yeah and so that's why i think i'm i managed to go through that uh, those early stages quite quickly was by actually going quite slowly, yes. by not doing anything until I was more than ready to do it.
0: And is that in terms of your your I hate the word journey, but there it yeah. is in terms of your journey out of the the pit. When yeah. you said what, what was the kind of the therapeutic effect of that on some, on someone who was bereaved, yeah, who was already kind of emotionally vulnerable.
2: It was so powerful because. I knew that the most powerful thing about it was and it's it's gonna sound so cheesy but it's true so I'm gonna say it is I knew how proud my dad would have been because he had said why don't you do it now that will forever be a sadness that he never got to see me do stand up like that breaks my heart and that's why my first Edinburgh show was I know it's a bit of a trope now to do a dead dad show but I didn't care because I was like I would not be doing this if it wasn't for my dad he is in this show. You know, and that's why that show means so much to me. And it was a really powerful thing just to, well, you know, the catharsis of being on stage, the the, cathar- the feeling of, it doesn't even matter if you don't smash it or you don't have to, but just not failing. It's like, you know, when a gig goes well or, or you don't, fa- when you're on open sport, it's just not dying is a gig going well, right? This,
0: that's reminded me of a thing I used to love. Or a, a way of seeing art that I got from my wanky art college, which is mm-hmm. that art can either be an artefact to be admired or it can be a tool. And yeah. I really think that's that's one of the great values of stand-up comedy. Sometimes it's Mickey Flanagan doing 40 minutes of the best gig you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. And sometimes it's you working through a thing. Like any comic will know this who's just been dumped and got on stage that night. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That means yeah. you go, there, Suddenly, there is a value to it.
2: As a comic... And it sounds really ruthless, this, but it isn't. It's a it's a coping mechanism. As a comic, for every terrible thing that happens to you in your life, there's one percent of it is I can do something with that. And that's a powerful thing because what it means is because if you haven't got that outlet, then what do you do with the tragedy in your life? You have to sit with it. How powerful to go. I'm going through a tragic thing at the moment, but at some point in the future, tragedy plus time equals comedy, some point in the future, this is going to benefit me in some way.
0: I think we should also say for the benefit of the non-professional comedian listener... When a tragedy has happened, you don't have to sit with it. You can also talk to other people about yeah. it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, seeing, please do. <laughs> just seeing as the terms
0: we're talking in this episode might be a, a <laughs> yeah. favourite of people who are concerned with this subject matter, yeah. let's just remember that's a thing. But certainly, yeah. as a comic, what a joy to have, or you're yeah. painting to have an art exactly to have any kind of a thing. And, and it's, it's funny you
2: mentioned it. the art thing. Actually, I, this is something I talked about in my last show because I um, so I spent time in in day centres and and. Uh, uh, psychiatric units and things trying to recover from mental illness. And one of the things is art therapy that they try and get you to do. Now, I had a real problem with this because when I was at school, I couldn't... I was a real high achiever at school. I was moved up a year. I, I, you know, maths and English really I, I, <laughs> I had my own spelling test separate from the other kids at school. But, Hello. Yeah, that made me friends. Um, in, in many ways, I was this high achieving child, but I could not draw or color in to save my life. And I still can't, right? It's still the thought of it. And, and I had this teacher once. I must have been, I was in infant school. So I must have been what six or seven, something like that. And I had a friend, Claire, who was really good at drawing and the teacher, uh, me and Claire kept getting we kept getting told off for talking during this class, right? And in the end, the teacher sort of reached the end of their tether and just went, "Claire, I can tell you're not concentrating. Your picture's almost as bad as one of Angela's. <laughs> like, oh, wow! I was like, okay. six or s-. And That really stuck with me, and from that moment, I was like, "Well, I'm not drawing again. Oh. I'm not. I can't do it. I can't do it." So I would do anything to get out of art classes. in like the secondary school awful over, things you hear about people: cough.
0: you sing a wrong note, everyone laughs. You never sing again. Yeah, no, that's it. That was, so it important. was that
2: thing. And I and I do think that comedy was my art therapy that I, it's obviously something that I needed and I can see the value in art therapy, but I always rejected it at the time because to me, even however many times an art therapist said to me, no one's judging you on this. It doesn't, you know, it's, it can't be a good or bad piece of art. It's you expressing yourself. All I could hear was that, no, I can't do it. I can't do this. And I would stress out to the point where I'd sat in the back of an art therapy class doing a cryptic crossword because I just couldn't face getting in there. And I think what comedy did for me at the beginning, certainly was provide that outlet that, that art therapy should have provided had I not blocked it
0: in my brain. But comedy is uh, it's the opposite, because they are judging you, and it absolutely can be good or bad. That's true. I'm using those terms just to investigate specifically what you've said. Yeah. There is an argument that says... No, I mean, you know, the the comedy as tool mm. argument is like, yeah, maybe the whole audience hated it. Maybe they're not ready for this stuff. Yeah. The kids are gonna I, love it. I, I
2: can't <laughs> imagine ever saying that.
0: About. I, I think. Well, what there if, are comics. You know, Sam Simmons will be brilliant. No one will laugh, and he'll look at them and go, "Why the fuck you aren't? You're enough? wrong. You know what I mean? You're yeah. wrong. Exactly. Yeah. And I that. and I
2: admire that because that is self belief that I just don't have. Of course.
0: So, but I'm just saying in in this idea of like comedy being like art therapy. Yeah. In art therapy, there are no wrong moves. Kind of for the comedy you do and I do. Yeah, there are wrong moves; it and can it's go instant. wrong, and it's instant. So, how does that fit well, into the?
2: I think what it, I've thought about this a lot. I think what it is is that instant feedback is something that feeds something in me. Like right? I think I'm a praise addict, and that whole thing with the art therapy was whatever I did, no one was going to say that's brilliant, so I didn't want to do so it. So What's the point,
0: Yeah, Right. Yeah, right.
2: So I didn't want to do it. Whereas at school, you know, I'd come top of the class in maths and English you're you're good at this so i got praise for it and this i tell, the point i noticed this was a couple of years ago i learned to swim right and i went to this swimming class at crystal palace it was like in a, on an art tuesday afternoon and i would go there and it was me and like four or five other middle-aged women <laughs> learning to swim and i had to be better than them Right. None of us could swim when we started, but I would practice and practice and practice so that my teacher, Jill, who I loved, right, would say, oh, Angela, that's coming on really well. Well done. And I'd be all like, smug, top of the class. And I was like, oh, my God, that's who you are. That's exactly who you are. You want praise. That's why you're a comedian and you love it, because that praise is instant. You're not an actor having to wait to read the reviews in a week's
0: time. Yeah. It's instant. Here's a thought. Do you think that that praise addiction was kind of forged in a depressed girl having moments of feeling good
2: yeah i do i think that's where my se- i have such low self-worth that that's where my self-worth came in is somebody telling me i'd done something well that was i wasn't able to do that it's like i said before with my agent you know but i'm not able to tell myself those things i, I need it from an outside influence and it's pathetic but that's who i am i'm 40 now and i've accepted that's who i am the therapy i've had has probably been quite different therapy you've had in that all of mine has been on the nhs all of it which means not very much of it and it also so i tried i i was once part of a um uh an experimental group psychotherapy thing at the maudsley hospital in south london so i got this protracted period of group psychotherapy and i hated every second of it every now on reflection i mean there were times during it where i thought this is making me actively worse Uh, maybe on reflection I got something out of it I I don't I don't know but different it's horses for courses different things for different people and I think for somebody with sort of a chronic low self-esteem sometimes talking about yourself constantly is a difficult thing to do to try and mine what's going on because you don't feel you're worth that effort or that time or that person's time and I very quickly the, the other thing is that it was sort of helpful and not helpful is that I was a mental health professional as well <laughs> Yeah. while all this is going on. Oh. So I knew how to present and it's, and the, the group psychotherapist at the end of it sort of gave us all a, a kind of report on, and she pointed out to me that I hadn't really been aware that I'd doing it. My role in that group was another therapist, essentially. I would deflect anything about me onto someone, you know, right. so it kind of, it was kind of helpful working in that field in that I knew, you know i understood my illness and i understood what was going on but not so helpful in the way that i also understood the system and how to present and all of all of that stuff so i also think part of my getting better was not working with vulnerable people anymore because i think yeah the comedy was part of it but i think also if you're i mean i i believe that working in those fields has a shelf life i believe that um, it's difficult jobs working with people in crisis is difficult when that's your day every day and you, all you see is people who are in crisis or struggling or you know that can't not rub up off on you unless you're a robot right so and I worked with many people in that field who I felt had done it for too long and should have stopped. And I do think part of my getting better and get, gaining more confidence generally was not doing that work anymore. So not only was it doing comedy, it was taking myself out of work that maybe for somebody with my issues wasn't the ideal setting.
0: And what do you think about the kind of the long-term implications of your solution, like your your professional comedy-based solution to your mental health.
2: Well, they, I don't like to think too much about it <laughs> I don't like to think too much about it because I know that mental health is cyclic and I never take for granted when I'm well. Even though it's been, a, you know, now, what, how old am I, eight, nine years since I've had a particularly debilitating ex, uh, episode. I don't take that for granted at all. That there could be another one.
0: Again, it's like alcoholism. You need to yeah. regard yourself as that's it yeah. forever. You're recovering forever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: And I, for this year, right now, I am medication free for the first time since I was eighteen. Completely free of medication. Now, I never thought that day would come. Right.
0: I feel like saying congratulations, but I don't you, know if that's negative for I, people. I, who well, feel at like, the moment, yeah.
2: exactly. You, you
0: seem happy. Good for you.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, but that's not to say that medication's a bad
2: thing. I want to stress that. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that. Right now in my life, I'm not needing it. And that is a new thing for me. That may change and almost certainly will change at some point in my life. I'm very much, I don't think too much about the future. Um, Ask my financial advice. (laughs) I should think much more about the future than I do. But I'm very, um, like a lot of people say to me, so I'm 40. right? And a lot of people are surprised by that when they've met me you know, comedians that have known me, they're surprised that I'm 40. And I say it's because I feel like I lost my 20s. So I, I feel like I've got arrested development, like I'm 10 years younger you than I You get another
0: am. go at your 30s. So I
2: get another right. go at my 30s. Unfortunately, my body clock and all the other things, <laughs> uh, you know, my grey hair would attest differently. But um, that's why I think I have a slight immaturity to me because there, there was that period of time when I just wasn't living a life, really. I was just not doing... The stuff I should have been doing, so um, I can't, the future, who knows uh, I can only live for now, right now, things' are pretty good I 'll still find things to complain about and moan about and you know because I 'm a human being, but I'd say they're the best they 've ever been right now.
0: Ask me again in a fortnight. <laughs> you know who knows what's around the corner Let's talk some more about the writing okay, because you're such a good writer. I know you and uh, your system. Yeah, yeah, I remember the pom- you're a Pomodoro, I'm a Pomodoro guy. Pomodoro I think yeah, you yeah, were yeah. the first Pomodoro guy, I suppose. I too, think I got remember telling you about yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the Pomodoro. Yeah, the Pomodoro method is uh, you have a little, timer a little timer, and you do 25 minutes work, and then you have five minutes off. Yeah, and you do loops of those over yeah. and over again. Yeah, and in that five minutes, you can look at Facebook and all the rest of it. Yeah, I find the uh, my own use of Pomodoro is uh, it's problematic because. It's very hard to stick to a five minute break
2: yeah, Absolutely <laughs> But I just did my whole that's 25
0: it. minutes uh, but it, Besides obviously looking at Facebook If that's your go to because you're in a cafe And you're on your own yeah. for entertainment l- Everything on it is literally algorithmically Designed to try and snag you Absolutely I find, that, I find that very hard What I actually do now is I put a 20 minute timer on my phone right. Just to remind me that I'm under pressure of time And then as soon as it goes off I go oh it's got off and I reset it Start again
2: and, nice. get, and crack on with
0: it. I try to go do a bunch of those without a break. Don't have any breaks, yeah. and then after you've done like three of them, you go, okay, I can have yeah. sort of ten minutes.
2: A I, I do still use the Pomodoro. So my writing method, if you can call it that, is I, I very quickly realise that I'm not one of those comics who can go right. I'm going to write between ten and four every day, and that's going to be what I do. Because, like I said before, I sit down to so sit down at a blank screen or blank bit of paper, the tyranny of that, the kind of, I get panicked and then I, once I panic and my anxiety rises and then that's it, nothing's getting done mm-hmm. for a week. Mm-hmm. Not just for that session, for a week. That's how it manifests in me. So what I have to do is I, I just collect ideas all the time. So I have on my phone, we've all got the notes section mm-hmm. on our phone. That what, is just What app full are you of, using I just use the, I, I've got an iPhone, so I just use the notes. What app, if you lose your phone? I use Evernote as well. Okay. So I see, but the notes app is synced with my... Oh, I didn't MacBook. know you could do that. Yeah, way. yeah, yeah. It okay. to my MacBook. So um, I use that. I use uh, a notebook. I like writing freehand. So I've always got a notebook and pen with four colour biro, if you must ask, because I'm obsessed with them. My, I used to have a boss who used to say, you can tell how stressed I am by how many <laughs> pens are in my bag. The <laughs> more stressed I am, the more pens. So I collect all these things so that when I do go, right, I've got time now to sit down and I've got starting points. I have to have
0: yes, yeah, a, a
2: thing to start with. Otherwise, the the thought of having the whole universe to write about is too
0: overwhelming, and I can't do it. And how does that tally with the uh, with the demands of writing topical? Is it that you're giving yourself topical starting points? Well,
2: the, yeah. I mean, I I don't just write topical. So um, most of the stuff I write on my the notes of my phone are just thoughts that occur to me, just little, you know, little gems of thoughts or something you've seen or someone says something mm-hmm. or, you know, a friend's are used to me now going, I'm going to write that down. Is that all right? Yeah. <laughs> you Yeah. Know, um, that's fine. The topical stuff is, is tends to be, well, it depends what I'm doing. So I love doing things like Mock the Week or News Quiz because, hey, let's shatter some illusions here. But you know what the stories are going to be,
0: right? Sure. So...
2: You so know. I should sort have of said
0: sure slightly faster. It sounded like I was surprised. Then yeah, <laughs> really what? Oh, oh what? sure what? <laughs> They've
2: the jokes in advance. What? I, I, I I'm sure all, I'm not we're... breaking any taboos. <laughs> by, by so I, that already narrows down a field, and that I can work with it. So I like to have a thing to work within. Go okay, this story, this news story's happened. Write about that, and then I'll read every article. In all the papers about that story, and I'll go through and I'll pick out the interesting or the bits that interest me. Because I what I also think is if you're doing topical stuff, I want it to be very clear that it's in my voice if I'm delivering it. Because otherwise I might as well just read a list of jokes off Twitter. You know, it's I don't write one liners. I write jokes, but they're not one liners and such. I think the jokes I write are very much in my voice. Yes. Or, you know, I like to think they are. Um So that that's the how i approach that sort of thing there's other things that i find so one of the things that i do now which is probably the most terrifying job that i do and i love it and hate it in equal measure is i do cutting edge i'm part of the cutting edge team at the comedy store Mm -hmm. and if you don't know cutting edge is the tuesday night topical show at the comedy store and it's been running for like 25 years or something and most of the team have been doing it most of that time sure so I'm a very new member of the team, and I do it maybe once a month-ish. And it is so out of my comfort zone because you're delivering stuff to an audience that have come for stand-up. They know it's a topical show, but they're also expecting comedy store-level stand-up. Yes. they not It's not a new material... It's not old It's right. not a new material night, exactly. Yep. It's not, uh, oh, I'll just waffle till I get to something funny night. They want jokes. But they want jokes about things that happened in the news that day mm-hmm. or that week, you know. And that, I find terrifying yet exhilarating when it works it's like being an open spot again it's that feeling of i can't believe i got away with it you know as soon as the show ends i'm like get me a glass of wine and you know that real exhilaration that you've got away with it (laughs) it's the only way i can put it but writing for that is quite hard because you've got all the news so that day if i'm doing cutting edge that evening you're like where do I start? You know, and the producer will send you, uh, there's a guy who produces the show, John, he'll send you a list of things that might come up, but it's the audience that choose the topics. Mm. The audience on the night go, give me some material about this thing. And you just have to go and do it, you know, and that's, Utterly terrifying. So you're trying to preempt what might come up, think of some jokes that you might be able to... It's also quite a good exercise in shoehorning. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, something yeah. comes up, you're like, oh, I can shoehorn that bit of material yes, into that okay. thing. Or, you know, you can do that but, as well. but you need to
0: shoehorn it well enough because otherwise the, the, they don't it. notice. Yeah, yeah. Like, you
2: know, they're not stupid. They're like, hang on, that's
0: not what we said. The topic yeah, was. Okay. <laughs> you know, you, ha- you have to be able to. So, so then, with with both systems, you're you're accruing notes if you're doing it. If you're looking at topical stuff, you're underlining things. You you read. I mean, I'm interested to hear, but in particular, that you uh you read all of the papers. Yeah. So you're getting the tabloids and you're getting yeah. the broadsheets.
2: Yeah, I think that's important. A to to get all points of view and uh I would never buy a copy of the Daily Mail I always look at that online yeah um you know this uh, I have certainly You limits. still get
0: advertising revenue mate the sun too <laughs>
2: even like, the sun and the times are both behind paywalls but luckily when you do certain topical tv shows they give you uh <laughs> sign ins so I get yeah. to look at those for free um so I tend to look at them online I'll buy the guardian I'll buy the the i newspaper is quite good what i find is quite good sometimes is if you've got a lot of stories you just want little you want an overview, you know. And while I can sit, I can spend all day plowing through the Guardian. At the end of it, I've got too much information in my brain. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that little eye newspaper is quite good for just getting an outline of the stories, you know, the, the salient points that you can then take off to where you want to take them. I like having the physical paper, some physical papers because I like to highlight and underline. And I'm I'm a girl who loves stationery.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
2: so any any excuse to cut things out and stick things and underline things and um. You know, I, I'm very much from a real okay. paper and pen world.
0: So you've got your notes, you've got the things yep. that stood out. Yep. What happens next?
2: Okay, so my process is, I've, I'm very lucky in that we've got a two-bedroom flat, so I've got a little study room. And I've bought, you could buy these from Staples, and they are the best thing I've ever bought as a writing comic, uh, are these whiteboard sheets that are, like, static, so they stick to your wall. Okay. And you can get a sheet of 20 of them, costs about 20 quid. uh uh-huh. Uh, my wall in my study is covered in whiteboard sheets.
0: Oh, um, please, can you take right? a picture and send it to me? When you yeah, get home. sure. I would love sure, to I accompany will. this with that. Uh,
2: and and I write on that. So I've got whiteboard markers and I do diagrams and I write on there. I do flow charts. Um, and sometimes- when, you say, when
0: you say you do flow charts, what yeah. does that mean in terms of like so you thinking do, of the idea? If, so
2: if, for example, um, I'm trying to think of a new story. I did a thing recently about um, uh, policemen wearing cameras now. Yes. Right. So I would put camera on there and just free association, everything I think of to do with cameras, right? And then I think about policemen, think of free association, everything I can do to think of policemen. And then you just, you can, it's a visual representation in front of you. see, are there any funny links between what I've written there and what I've written there? And you're
0: writing these all out in big, thick in big marker thick pen on a great marker big one. Oh, I thick. love it. So I like
2: to just look at it all at once, you know, and then I might go. um So one of the jokes I do is about how, um, you know, Theresa made made loads of cuts to the police force, um, and now they have to wear cameras, so at least they can supplement their income. on you've been framed, right? Yes, gotcha. and that was just from that thing of going like video cameras and then police cuts and going, oh, you've been framed, and uh, money. Oh, Got there's it. A link. There's the link, and it doesn't work for you know, some. You know what it's like. Some jokes just fall in your head, fully yeah. formed, to the point where you go. Well, someone must have done this before. I yes. have to, and you Google it and ask everyone, has someone else done this? Has someone else done this? Because you can't quite believe that you've had that idea. And then other times you have to pull them kicking and screaming because you know it's there. And the other really important thing for me is like, I find sitting in isolation with these thoughts does, does my head in. So I meet up with, um, for me, Michael Fabry, mm-hmm. who's my best mate and a comedian, and we will meet up and we don't write for each other. What we do is we, t- we just read out. The ideas we've got, because then the other person will go, "Oh, well, well that."
0: Oh, you've missed a link. You, there. Yeah, yeah you yeah, missed yeah, that link sure. between that.
2: Or would well, you remember you wrote that thing once, but it never went anywhere? But that would fit into that because we know each other's material and we know each other's voices, and that is invaluable. That's where it actually starts to then condense into something. So when we did old rope together, the mm-hmm. new material night the other that you
0: were, you around, and Michael were there together. Michael yes. and I were there
2: together. So I was with Tiffany, who runs it. I always say, "Can you put me and Michael on together?" Because we will spend that day. Go, this is what I'm going to do tonight. This is what I'm going to do tonight.
0: And just That's consolidating so it together. That's such a great idea. Yeah,
2: just because it, it's just to put it in someone else's head before you do it to an audience. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you know if it's just an audience of one person. Yes. It's like, otherwise, I don't trust it to go from my head to an audience
0: without a filter. <laughs> so so tell me then about refining that once that works, because something I noticed, and it's interesting, that kind of join the dots technique, you know, that, that yeah. links that link technique. Yeah. Is um, something I noticed. I was looking one of your one of your stand up for the week clips that's online. Right. It's about OAPs on drugs. Right. Yeah. And literally, and I'm going to murder the stuff now. Just <laughs> just on the notes, the amount of punchlines per second right. or per minute, or whatever. <laughs> when you're old it's the best time to take drugs it's not like you've got to get up early for work in the morning bang you'll never have a problem finding a vein bang you might not be able to heat a bungalow but you could heat a teaspoon bang and I'm I'm pointing out uh, she does not say bang at this point (laughs) (laughs) bang bang (laughs) (laughs) Bang (laughs) implies a big audience laugh I don't think my nan's on cocaine but she does knock out jumpers at an alarming rate my nan couldn't be a dealer she has trouble working one phone let alone two and it's just like wallop 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 and every one of those was getting a laugh a laugh right? and, and a, a deserved laugh yeah. and you're changing the it's almost like there's there's idea number one was it's the best time to take drugs when you're old yeah here's three punchlines about that idea number two would i know if my if my own old person was on drugs yeah idea number three could my old person sell drugs yeah <laughs> you know what i mean it's like it's just it changed the paradigm it's like you're you're kind of um I never know whether people know what I mean by a paradigm Because as I said I went to a wanky art school <laughs> You know what a paradigm is yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I think every time I, I, I Visualise or, or talk about changing a paradigm I always mind I saying, twisting, I twisting a thing It's like there's a window to the world And it's square but if you twist it It turns triangular and if you twist it again It turns circular yeah. That's kind of what a paradigm is And that's the boy
2: brought up on play school with those <laughs> windows Look at yeah, that
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> so you've you've got the you've got one sheet with camera and one sheet with police yeah have you then got another sheet or another kind of a mental overview of if I was a policeman if someone I knew was a policeman if yeah. policemen had always been like this if aliens saw policemen
2: well this what I mean? is this is where something like so yeah I do try and you sort of try and rinse it out you know just just go is there anywhere else I can take this have I had other thoughts that relate to this and that's where so I use evernote I don't know if you know the application I know evernote. it but
0: I don't like I I use simple note because right. it up it updates automatically evernote I tried it once I couldn't get in because unless you're online oh
2: right I mean I'm a my bit of a. am so bloody in the stone ages when it comes to i'll like, say oh i've heard about this one i'll use that
0: yeah sure, sure, um, sure
2: but what i like about it is that you it has a search function yeah so all my notes eventually go into it mm-hmm. and then i can search so i can go if i'm writing about drugs I put drugs in and any ideas any thoughts i've had about and they might be the thoughts i couldn't do anything with before but now suddenly they fit into this new idea i've had yes so and you could go, oh, well, I can take it that way with that. So that's one tool. I li- I do. Uh, that's one thing that is said about it, is I do sort of pile on punchlines, but I think that is almost a symptom of my insecurity right? Yes. Okay. is that I don't trust that one laughs enough. So I better have another one just in case they don't laugh at that one. And then they might not laugh at that one. So I better make sure there's something else coming just in case. And I
0: do. I mean, that, that clip- is, is that i just want to challenge you on that is, is that true that it's a symptom of your insecurity or is it just good craft? It's th- just having a lot of punchlines. I don't,
2: I don't know. I think it, maybe a bit of both. I don't know. I just feel like, cause I, there are some comics who, um, can really take their time getting to a punchline and when they get to the punchline, it's worth it. Right? Yes. I'm not sure my punchlines are worth it. So I get to them as quickly as I bloody can. <laughs> yes. That's my, so I think. It's a different skill. I'm somebody who, if I'm on stage and they haven't laughed for 20 seconds, even though I haven't said anything funny in 20 seconds because it's a 20 second setup, I start getting anxious.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah.
2: So it's almost a self-protection thing to go, so sometimes I'll build in an extra gag on the way to a bigger gag because I just, I need to have a laugh on the way. I know there's a big laugh coming but if I don't, have one on the way I'll start losing faith before I get there and
0: it's just that that neurosis serves you really well because why not have ten punchlines instead of one yeah what string to your bow that you don't currently have would you kill for
2: oh my god so many I think one I would kill for is to take bigger risks. What I love about so James Acaster is somebody I'll take as an example because James I knew James when he was an open spot. So I used to run this little gig in Brighton and he used to come and do it. Uh, and he was doing what all open spots do at that point, you know. And then I watched him grow into this and what James Acaster did was worked his ass off. Like mm. he was forever I, I don't
0: think I've ever known a harder worker.
2: Never part. known a harder. He cause he used to stay at my house if he was gigging you know, down that way, down in Brighton. And from the minute he woke up, he had his notebook out and was working on every train journey, on every... He would listen back to every gig he would record and listen back to and learn from his mistakes and hone and work out what it was he wanted to say. And what he didn't do was ever apologise for who James Acaster was. And eventually, he because he had been going long enough, he got the skills to bring absolutely every audience member on board. But... What what he didn't do was fall down that crack that a load of us fall down, I think, where there's a crack between just doing what all open spots are doing and finding your voice. And the crack that you can fall between is being so scared that the audience isn't going to like you that you never take any risks. So you just end up doing the same thing all the time. And James danced across that crack by not giving a shit if the audience would, because he knew where it was going. He knew what he was trying to do and he knew that eventually he'd have the skills to do it. And that's exactly what happened. And now you can put James A. Castor in any room, and that audience will come on board with him, even though he's doing something so different to mm. other acts. And he's so unique and so, and one of the most exciting acts to watch. And to watch him from an open spot grow, up, grow into that
0: is extraordinary. So you feel that you, I, I agree with all of that. Yeah. Um, but it's the, the taking, risks taking risks thing. You wish you'd take yeah. more risks. It's
2: the praise addict in me. Because to take a risk means you have to go on stage in front of a room full of people and try something that they might not probably won't like just to see if it works. And the praise addict in me doesn't like that because you're going to come off and no one's going to say well done to you. Oh, no. So I would like to take more risks. I would like to be more of a risk
0: taker. But... Do you suppose that you won't do that? I probably won't. Yeah, that's <laughs> I lovely. I probably won't. It's, it's great that kind of the self management that you have is just yeah. like, wouldn't that be nice? Not going to worry about that. I'm going to yeah. get on working hard and writing jokes and yeah. performing them. Yeah,
1: because yeah. <laughs>
2: it's what it's what I feel is in my control. I'm I'm a control freak over my own brain, I guess. And and so if I. I need to sort of have as much control as I can over what's going to happen when I step on a stage. Like, you know, there's acts that go, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do tonight. I'll see what I feel like when I get out there. And I'm like, you mad? <laughs> like, I have to know what the first joke is going to come out of my mouth. Now, I may, on stage, you know, once you start gauging an audience reaction, you might go, "Right, well, I'm not going to do that bit. They're going to prefer this bit.
0: Yes. Like, oh, well, that's know. a different thing, though, isn't it? But Rather that's a different just, thing. Yeah, a thought.
2: Yeah. But I have never been on stage and had a thought pop in my head and go... I'm going to say that just to see what happens. Sure, I have... If I'm reacting to something that's happened in the room... Sure, of course. That's a different thing. You know, if you're having to react to a heckler or to whatever's happening in the room, then sure, then you do. You get that little adrenaline spike that helps you do that.
0: I'm just thinking of um, having done... I did these uh, previews recently, this thing called Hell Week. It was only three shows. It was like me trying to write a new show. Uh, Now that there's a baby, not all that. Too much time to (laughs) do writing sessions. Um, There's a baby. Um, But... uh, so i was do- and there was a lot of those moments and i i use them a lot on on stage anyway and i yeah. that that rush of literally thinking of a new idea or a thing you once thought was funny ages ago and never turned into a joke yeah and saying i'm i, I think i'm gonna say this now and then i did a bit about uh um, uh liking the little robot that diffuses the bomb oh yeah you did it uh, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. so i did it and yeah. i came and did that um, and it was that's. It's not funny on paper. Nothing about it is funny. And uh, and that I that rush of like that thrill of like just going to fucking do it, it. it. And it died at Hell Week, and then it kind of worked at all right Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And now I'm like, well, how does that fit into my act? What do I do, I do that? with, that, I do with <laughs> that? Oh, great, great! I took a risk, and now there yeah. it is. I've got a thing about a robot that doesn't go anywhere. I and
2: mean, the only time I'm happy taking a risk, I think, is when I'm MCing. If I'm MCing I don't mind so much because I feel like the pressure is slightly off. Not in terms of you've still got to be funny and you've still got a, a job to do, but, but as you get MC, so many
0: bites of the cherry. Yeah. Yes.
2: Exactly. And you can, you've got that room to like, particularly if it's a reaction to something, if you're chatting to someone in the audience, say, and they, they say something or they say a job they do and you're like, I had a thought about that once that I never wrote a joke about. Why don't you say it now? Cause it's a conversation.
0: It's yes, not a piece of yes, material. Yes, I see.
2: Then I'll try it. And yeah. if they laugh, then and- I might go away and go, right time to work that bit absolutely and
0: that's a very you can see the, the strength of that uh, method of working because yeah. you are a stone cold reliable act even years ago not just a few years ago but several years ago if someone had said oh can I put Angela on to open mm. middle close whatever you're the sort of act about whom people go oh yeah thank you yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so okay couple of quick fire ones to, uh, uh, you know? to before we wrap up which, <laughs> some of these are new right. which comic would it be most narratively satisfying if they killed you Oh, my God. Michael Fabry. Yeah, I mean, it would, not it? That's just too easy a question for you, isn't it? Wouldn't it? it would Absolutely. Be, it would be a, He's come close a few times. It would be a suicide yeah. <laughs> we,
2: have, we have such a, a brother-sister sort of relationship in that we bicker like we bicker like a brother or sister bicker but if anyone else said anything negative to me about Michael Fabio I'd punch them in the face Like yeah, that's right. that's what our relationship's like
0: and which, what elements of it of that relationship are so particularly suited to working together why is it that you and he are such a good I think it's because
2: with? we don't pull any punches so if I think he's had an idea and it's shit and it's not going to work I can tell him it's shit and it's not going to work and and vice versa so you know what it's like sometimes you're just like somebody says to you an idea in a green room you know i've had this what do you think you're like yeah (laughs)
0: that could work
2: knowing in your head go you insane that's never gonna work that whereas with michael i'll go what i don't get it you know we could quite happily say that to each other and i think that that's the valuable thing is that you you have to be able to say if you want to work with someone like that you have to be able to tell them and know that it's okay to tell them if you think a bit is shit.
0: Finally then, yeah, what would be, and you can interpret this however you like, okay. what would you have engraved on your comedy gravestone? Oh, my comedy gravestone.
2: I would have engraved, she had a go. Like, that's that's all I could, this ride I'm on, and I call it a ride, right? It's like, it, we never know when it's going to end, right? It could end any, I am, at the moment, I make my living out of writing comedy that to me is more than I ever hoped would happen you know and, and you sort of have ambitions and sometimes you can drive yourself mad looking at what other people are doing and should I be doing that and why aren't I doing this that or the other you go the bottom line is you've, you've made it like right? you're making a living as a comedian that should be enough so you had a go she had a go paid off whatever happens next is a bonus
0: thanks Angela
2: thanks for having me she has been fun <laughs>
0: So that was Angela Barnes. Thank you very much to Angela for coming along. You can find her stuff online. She does loads and loads on Radio 4, so listen out there. Um, You can probably search her on iPlayer as well as on YouTube and all the other places you'd expect to find some stuff. So uh, look out for Angela Barnes, and thank you to Daryl for the editing. Thank you to all of my logging legends, uh, Olivia Phipps, Matt Hoss, and Emily Crosby, uh, the current team of uh, I don't know, usual suspects? They're not suspects, they definitely did it. So thank you to, to those three heroes, and thanks to you For listening, if you'd care to make a donation, it's comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate. If you would like to support the show and if you would like to support the show non financially, you can leave me a positive rating on iTunes, all that blah 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 blah. You can tweet me at Comcompod, email me info at comedianscomedian.com. There's still room for those people who would like to be part of the cavalry and help put up posters in uh, in your places of work in any towns that I'm coming to on tour. And uh, you can email me info at comedianscomedian.com with the subject line cavalry. If you'd like to help out, thank you very much. To those of you who've done that for me already and got in touch to say so, uh, I will inscribe your names in something. But privately, you'll never see it. So uh, <laughs> um, that's all of that. No post this week uh, because of reasons, and uh, I might explain those reasons in more detail another time, or we might just put it down to a complete running out of time. But that's that for now. I'm off uh, to do the second leg of some tour support I've been doing for young Mr Jack Whitehall, who has been... Um, we did the, the New Oxford Theatre last night, which In two shows, we did a matinee and an evening performance. I was just doing a little support slot at the top. In these gorgeous, completely jam-packed, full, enormous, three-tiered, Rooms and uh, it occurred to me afterwards <laughs> those two support slots I performed to as approximately approximately as many people as I did uh, throughout the whole of my Edinburgh run this year. <laughs> so uh, just I mean what what's fascinating about that and we've got some more coming up so I might uh, I might sort of clue you in on some of those soon. I, we've got one or two really exciting ones and uh, I feel very lucky to be uh, to be doing that and um, also it's so funny seeing the 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 difference between the public and. Pra- private faces of the show, you know, that line of the curtain in a huge venue like that. In front of it, you've got, you know, literally thousands, or well, 1.7, that's plural, isn't it? Thousands of of fans being all giddy and excited. And then behind the curtain, you've got a bloke and a couple of other people. You know, you've got like a a tour manager and a driver and uh, uh, someone from management and then it's just a guy on stage. You know, a very, very talented uh, and uh, energetic, very funny guy. But it's just a guy. (laughs) It really reminded me of all of those moments when um, you play at a club or you see a comic at a club and the opening of the club is this huge kind of the lights are spinning on disco mode or, you know, there's, like, searchlight things, there's a siren, there's a huge, you know, pumping anthemic track played and then a bloke walks out. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm sorry, I've accidentally made that gendered, many apologies, a person walks out. It is equally hilarious either way, whether it's a man or a woman. It's just so much kind of dun dun da, And then, yep, here I am. So it's going to be really interesting seeing how that progresses as we move to some uh, much bigger venues and uh, I will be keenly watching from the sidelines to see how, uh, how these big uh, arena touring guys fill the space and, uh, and how that kind of changes performance and what have you. And I think I'm, I'm sh- fairly certain I can, uh, I can wheedle Jack onto the podcast before too long. So look out for that. Uh, not a guarantee, but uh, I think he's up for it. Lovely guy. Very funny guy. If you haven't already booked your tickets to see him at some of the biggest places it's possible to see people, then I should get in quick. That's all for now. I will speak to you next week with an exciting American. I've yet to decide which one to release, but one of the exciting Americans. Speak to you soon.